two hunters that were fairly inexperienced were hunting in the woods that they weren't familiar with, and the game warden had met up with them earlier and warned them about the possibility of getting lost. And he said, if you get lost, just fire three shots, and I'll come and find you and direct you out. So the two inexperienced hunters began to hunt, and sure enough, they got lost. And the first one turns to the second one and says, you better fire off three shots, which he did. And uh, they waited a while, and nothing happened. So they continued on, hoping that they would find their way, and they got more and more lost. And the first hunter turned to the second hunter again and said, hey, you better fire three more shots. And he fires three more shots. And now they are hopelessly lost. And it's been an hour, and still nothing's happened. So the first hunter turns once again to the second hunter and says, would you, you need to fire three more shots again. And the second hunter turns back to the first one and says, I don't have any arrows left. <laughs> you thought that was going to be significant, didn't you? It's a, that's what I call a dad joke. It's terrible. Um, but the point being is sometimes when we don't know, we just don't know. And the uh, Apostle Paul has been informing us in Ephesians thus far, we've been looking at Ephesians now for several weeks, of some things that we need to know. He's been saying you need to know your identity and you need to know who you are in Christ so that will then result in living correctly. And Paul comes to this startling conclusion, this really cool conclusion at the end of chapter 3, and this is where we left off last week and where I'm going to begin today. Uh, he, He says this, God is able to do immeasurably more than all you can imagine or ask for according to the power that has worked with you, uh, within you. Um, and so you've got to understand some of the context of this, of this statement that Paul makes. It's made in the context of knowing your identity in Jesus Christ. Prior to this, Paul says this, you have a claim to a name. You have a father from which you derive your name. You have to understand who you are in God. And then Paul goes on to say this, you have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. And lastly, Paul says this about our identity. You are the recipient of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. And I would describe this, describe this love this way. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's beyond our measurement. It's wide enough to cover the whole world. It's long enough to stretch all the way to eternity. It's high enough to bring even The most diverse people into the presence of God in heaven, Jew and Gentile, uh, would be appropriate to uh, Paul's day. And it's deep enough to grab the one caught in the deepest sin and to save their soul. And so, in the context of all that revelation about our identity in Jesus, Paul concludes with saying, you have to understand, God will do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine according to the power that's at work in you. And now we get to chapter 4, and Paul does a distinct change in kind of tone. He moves from identity to ethics. He moves from the doctrinal to the practice. And now he's going to talk in depth about what it means to actually live out your Christian life, to actually experience the things of God. And what he's done is he's kind of set us up. Because I don't know about you, but this is my natural tendency. My natural tendency is to think sometimes, well, that's impossible. Nobody can do that. And I think we tend to do some of that with God's word unintentionally. We think, well, that, I can't really live that way. Uh, that, that's beyond me. But what Paul's done is he's been telling us now for three chapters in Ephesians, this is why you can indeed live the way God wants you to live. And now he gets into the moment of telling us, now this is how you should live. So we're on chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 with you. Uh, And this is really good scripture. Just listen to what what the Lord says here. Uh, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you 
to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So here's our big thought. You are to live called. You are to live called. Do you ever wonder, why does Paul begin this section of Scripture by noting he's a prisoner? Is he saying, well, poor me, I'm a prisoner, you know, uh, and it's, you, you know, it's really tough here? I don't think that's the case at all. Have you ever been through a really hard experience in your life? Maybe you lost a loved one, or a real dear friend, or possibly a spouse. Or maybe you've lost a job that you really liked. Or maybe you've been forced to move a state away from where you'd like to live, and you're really struggling with that. If you're a child, especially if your mom or dad get a new job and they bring you along for the move, you know, it might be a big struggle for you to make that move because you don't see the benefit uh, to your life. And what Paul is saying is this to us. When all this stripped down. My life has been stripped down. It's, it's just to bury senses now. I'm a prisoner. I'm just here in, in, in this prison. And I'm writing to you from my heart. He, and he's saying, when all life has been stripped down, this is what really matters. You have to live a life worthy of the calling. You know? And so he, he's really addressing life's big question. How do I make my life really count for something? What do I do to really be successful in my Christian experience? Do I have to become a Tiger Woods to, to have a significant life for a James LeBron or perhaps Tom Brady, right? The man that never seems to age and always wins Super Bowls. Although I was talking with Keith Schramm, I'm going to share this with you right now. He told me how we can get Tom Brady to lose the next Super Bowl. Put a Vikings uniform on him. And the man will never win another Super Bowl again, amen? I'm sorry, I'm a Vikings fan. That's terrible. But three men were talking about success. And one of them shared with the other two, this is success, getting called to the president's office and becoming an advisor to the president. Well, the second one wanting to up his friend said, no, this is success, getting called into the president's office. And the red phone rings And the president says, you'll have to wait. I'm talking with an important person right now. The third one, not to be undone by his buddy, said, no, this is success. Getting called into the president's office. The red phone rings. The president answers the red phone. And he says, it's for you. That's success. And what we got to understand here is Paul is telling you and I in the scripture, this is how to do your life successfully as a Christ Follower. He's giving us the answer for what counts in life. And the answer is simply this. Live a life worthy of the calling. Live a life worthy of the calling. Now calling means here that you step into the life that Jesus invites you into. When you have believed in Jesus and received Jesus, then he invites you into this sanctified life, this life set apart for the glory of God. So you're invited or summoned to live right, to live in the power and the unction of the person of the Holy Spirit. Calling is frequently misunderstood. Sometimes people think calling is finding a pastor like me. He's called to this church, or maybe a missionary going to Ethiopia or Uganda. They're 
called to this faraway place. And we mystify calling and we make calling uh, only applicable to a select few. But really, friends, listen to me now. Hear this with your heart. Every single person sitting in this sanctuary today, every one of you listening online today, you are called. Amen? And you're supposed to live a, a life worthy of that calling. And that begins the road of success for you. We are all called ones. And Paul identifies a couple of manifestations that will take place in the called one's life. How you will begin to do your life entirely differently. And that's what we're going to explore for just a few moments uh, today. Point number one is this. The calling requires character. If you are a Christian, then your life will surely show it. You will live entirely differently. And there are some qualities here, some character qualities that Paul identifies in the scripture I read to you today that are really part of a greater list in the Bible called the fruit of the Spirit, found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Uh, we're supposed to exhibit these kinds of fruit, these kinds of character qualities as a Christ follower. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are supposed to be some of the things that are descriptors uh, of the Christian. Now remember, don't think, I can't do this, because Paul's just spent three chapters telling us why we can do this. We have an identity in Christ, right? We have a name that's derived from him. We have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. We have the love of God propelling us. We can actually live this way and we can live entirely differently. So if God's spirit is in you, then there will be some evidence of this and it will be these character uh, uh, traits that Paul describes here. So I want you to understand this big thought before we get into these uh, character traits and begin to kind of flesh them out. Who you are is more important than what you accomplish. Amen? Uh, that was really weak. Who you are is much more important than what you accomplish. Amen? Amen? Amen. This is at odds with the world and what it'll tell you. Think about our recent politics. I hate to even bring that up in a church service. Character. Where does character fall on our national level anymore? It's not there. It's non-existent. It has ceased to be relevant in their eyes. Character is way down there, somewhere below everything else. What we talk about now is what will be given to us, what they can accomplish. Lying is seen as a, a, a smart, bold, political move. Promising things that you can't deliver on, done all the time. Where's the integrity? Where's the character? Where's the truthfulness? It's gone, basically, on our national level anyway. I'm not talking state level or local level. I'm talking on some of the national politics that we've seen lately, right? And so when we are people of character, following hard after Jesus Christ, it probably will put you at odds with a lot of culture who would consider competency or accomplishing something of more importance and worth than your character. So let's talk on four uh, essential character qualities that Paul identifies here. Let's talk on these. First one is humility. You know what this word literally means? Low-mindedness, groveling servitude. We like to kind of sanitize the word, and we like to, you know, make it not really mean what it means. It means groveling servitude. It's the correct estimation of your own insignificance. Not very flattering. But get this. This word has been redeemed by Christ. In that Roman culture that Christ was in, 
humility was something that was disgusting. And, you know, one would be more proud of who they are and, and all that kind of thing. But, but Jesus wants us to know this. When we understand our own insignificance, we begin to understand the significance of God and what he can do in our life. And that puts us in this favorable place, as James says in his uh, epistle, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The greatest leader of all time in the Old Testament, Moses, was called the most humble man that lived on the earth. God does something special in the life of one who realizes, I can't do anything in myself, but I can do all things in Christ. God can work in that situation mightily. So if you're really going to be one who lives a life worthy of the calling, your character will be one of humility. Second character quality will be gentleness. Gentleness. This is not the same thing as humility. Gentleness means my strength under God's control. I have a picture that I want to show you here today. It should pop on the screen. Um, Okay, so this is a four-generation picture of the Sanderson side of my family. It was taken 40 years ago. That's my oldest daughter, Elizabeth, I'm holding in my arms here, and then my mom's next to me, my grandma's on the chair. So here's what I want you to look at. How am I holding my daughter, Elizabeth? She was a squirmer. She was nothing but little motion, kinetic energy, amen? And when you held her, you had to kind of clamp onto her. And you had to grab a leg and grab her around the waist. That, that girl would squirm out of your arms. So when you look at me in that picture, here's what I want you to understand. My strength is under control there. I'm not hurting her. I'm handling her with gentleness but firmness. I'm not squeezing the life right out of the girl, nor am I letting her flop all over the place. Amen? I'm holding her in a controlled way so she doesn't damage herself. That, my friends, is a really good definition of gentleness. And I tell you what, my grandma there, Sanderson, was one of the most gentle persons I have ever known in my life. She was so strong. And she worked all the time. And every time I was around grandma and she was working, she was always humming a tune. She's Norwegian and uh, humming this hymn. Terrible job, out of tune, oh, you know. But she was just always under the control of God, and she worked so hard. And every time she was around you, it was all about you. How are you doing? What are you up to? You blah blah blah. You follow what I'm saying? She was control. Everything was about you. And, and I, I just remember one time when she was really in the hospital, and she wasn't doing real well. And I went to visit her, uh, um, and you know, like any young guy. I didn't want to hang around too long. And I remember grandma grabbing my arm. Like, you sit down, you talk to me now. I said, okay, grandma. I sat right down, you know, and had a really good conversation with her for, for a couple hours. But, it, but she was one of the most gentle women I want. God wants us to understand if Christ be in us, then we have the strength under control of Christ in us. And it's gentleness, amen? Not the same thing as humility. It's a different thing from humility. And, and then, then Paul moves into this uh, idea of patience. It denotes the idea of steadfastness in endurance in the right direction. I always call patience this kind of thing. It's walking after God in holy obedience in the right direction over a long time, over a long time, over a long time. Even when it's not cool, even when it's really hard, even when it takes every ounce of your energy, you're walking in the right direction uh, under God. And it's a reluctance to uh, avenge wrongs. I promise this is my last political reference today. 
One of the things that really is disheartening to me, I don't know if it's disheartening to you, is to watch a new administration go into office and basically spend the first two, three months executive ordering everything the prior administration has done right off the books. Happens all the time. And it's just like this vengeful, spiteful. We won. Everything you've done is negated. Boom. And we throw it all out. And it's terribly, terribly hard uh, on the country and a terrible way to do transition. And if you're patient, like being talked about here in Scripture, you don't have the need for vengeance. You don't have the need uh, uh, to, to take revenge on somebody else. Uh, in fact, this means I put up with others' faults and idiosyncrasies. And I don't know about you, but I work with a whole bunch of people, not, not even looking at Dave here. Dave's not. I'm not even thinking. He just looked at, you caught my eye, Dave. I didn't mean to. Dave does have a lot of idiosyncrasies. I mean, you know, uh, everything is CrossFit with Dave and all that kind of stuff. So anytime we need something hard done, I say, Dave, come over here, do some CrossFit workout. And he does it. At any rate, um, but you always work with people that have idiosyncrasies and they have these faults, you know, and you have to just say, that's okay. You know why? Because you have a lot of faults yourself and a lot of your own personal idiosyncrasies, amen? And you want people to be patient with you. And so this is a character quality that will, that will, will, will point out or prove out that you are indeed a called one living a life worthy of the calling. And lastly, Paul mentions love. And I've talked about love a lot uh, last week, and I'm not going to get into it anymore other than to note that it's an extremely important uh, uh, character quality. So God is, is tremendously concerned with who we are becoming more so than what we are accomplishing. And we're to be people who are humble and gentle and patient and loving. All right, let's get into the second part of Paul's discussion here in the scripture I read to you. He moves now into this idea of unity. A one living, uh, the one living a life worthy of the calling will understand that in Jesus Christ, a unity is supposed to be experienced with God and with others that's just profound in its implications. Um, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Jesus prayed that you and I would be one as he and the Father are one. Abraham Lincoln said, a house divided against itself, what? will fall, right? And then the, the, this, 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 you know, Brotherhood of Man singing group came on the scene a long time ago and sang, united we stand, divided we fall. Remember that song? You maybe don't. All right. And there a gazillion versions have been done of it. Um, and so I want you to think for a moment about this, how we in the church are really good at fighting over things. Have you noticed that? That caused division. And right now, we're into a country that's so divided and a culture that's so full of division, and yet the church is squabbling amongst itself. Have you ever noticed that? Over things that really aren't that important. I've seen so much fighting over different Bible versions in my time. King James, NIV, English Standard Version, New Living Translation, whatever. And there's all this kind of uh, going on about that. And then, of course, politics. Oh, my goodness. I won't talk about politics much at all with anybody anymore. I make a couple mentions here of things that break my heart, but I don't really talk about it much because it's so divisive. You can't even have a conversation civil anymore when it comes to that subject matter. And then you get into methodology. Should we be traditional? Should we be liturgical? Should we be contemporary? Oh, maybe we should be really modern, you know? And there's all these different approaches, and boy, people get hot under the collar when they talk about such things. I went through this dress revolution as a follower of Jesus Christ. Any of you gone through that? I remember going to church, and you better wear a suit and a tie. 
And my little boy, Nate, loved to cuddle with me. And he'd crawl in the suit under me, and we'd sweat together. Until my armpit was just dripping on him. In this suit that's super uncomfortable. I hate suits. I remember going to camp. We had to go to camp every year out in Rapid City. It was required to go out there for the whole week at that time. And so you know what you had to wear? Suits at Cedar Canyon Camp in Rapid City where there's red dirt everywhere. You're out there wearing a suit. I thought, who came up with this rule? And then the women were wearing nylons and dresses and high heels. It's red mud dirt we're standing in. You getting this? And I remember saying to Vicki, this is stupid. Now we don't do that anymore, so we've been enlightened. Amen. But if you really want to have a really robust conversation, make sure you talk about somebody not of your generation and bring up the topic of music and what we should sing in church. Amen? I never talk on that. I always just run from that. Woo! They start talking, where's he going? I'm running! I'm running as fast as I can. Anyway, you follow what I'm saying. All right. Let's get to point number two. A calling worthy or a life worthy of the calling requires unity on our part as a body of Christ. And when I use that word unity, I mean this. A profound oneness is made possible by God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Paul does something really cool in this scripture. He gives us a crescendo kind of uh, talk on unity. And I don't know if you know what crescendo means. We have a, a picture here that will show up on the big screen behind me of what a crescendo looks like in music. It's where you're playing along and you're, you're playing and, and, and it tells you to go from soft to loud. It's a building moment in music bringing you to this momentous kind of conclusion. It's loud. If you watch a movie, they're masterful at doing this. They'll go along in a sense movie. And when you know that the, the good guy should never open that door, amen? And they should never go in that basement for sure. As soon as they do, the music goes, walk. It's really loud. Have you noticed that? Because they're engaging your emotions. And they're engaging you into the moment. It's kind of a crescendo moment. I took piano for years. Um, and uh, I got quite good. I started playing some concerts and stuff that she made me do that. I never wanted to do any of that kind of stuff, you know. And I remember her, her, her teaching me about crescendo and movement and flowing and all that kind of stuff in the music a lot. And, and I, I was a little mechanical. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about when you play. Not a lot of feeling involved with this. Uh, so I was a young teenage boy. You don't have feelings when you're a young teenage boy. In fact, usually you don't have a lot going on up here when you're a young teenage boy. Amen? And so I remember her talking, my piano teacher, to my mom one time. And she, I overheard the conversation. And she, she said, he's got all the mechanics down. And he plays really nice. He just needs to fall in love now. And I heard that. I was in eighth grade. And I thought, I was horrified by that conversation. <laughs> and I, 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 I remember thinking, well, I love basketball. And I love football. I'm dropping piano. <laughs> and I dropped piano because of that conversation. Because I, I wanted to play those things that I actually loved. And anyway, all right, let's get back to crescendo. And so Paul gives us this crescendo, this three of three kind of building of what it means to have this true unity as followers of Jesus Christ. And it begins with this unity in the spirit. He says there's one body, there's one spirit, and there's one hope. He's talking on this Holy Spirit level. The body is you and I. 
We're the visible community of the Lord Jesus Christ. And unity in us is not supposed to be just this mystical concept that we never achieve. It's supposed to be reality that we begin to truly live out. Understanding that God is gracing all of us with, with gifts of the Holy Spirit so that we can minister one to another and actually experience this really tra- tangible unity. And, and Paul says there's just one spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. And, and he can bridge the widest gaps of diversity, the widest gaps uh, of differences, and he can bring us together under th- this power. Um, we can truly be unified. Church, can you amen that? Amen. We can truly be unified. And lastly, there's one hope. We've already learned in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, that there, there, there's, the, the Holy Spirit is a deposit of inheritance to come. And he's a sample of what's to happen in our lives, which gives us hope as we eagerly anticipate that glorious day when we will be resurrected and have glorified bodies. There's one hope, and it's the hope of resurrection in Jesus Christ. Now, we're just beginning the crescendo movement here. Are you already becoming a little encouraged? I get encouraged every time I just say this and hearing myself say it. I get kind of encouraged. Um, But we can't do any of this, friends. We can't begin to experience any of this if we're not humble and gentle and patient and loving. Let me give you an example of how hard it is to have true unity, of what it really means to have thousands of people being in unity about anything. I do a lot of premarital counseling. I've done a lot over the years. I've done several hundred weddings. And every time I sit down with a couple and we're going to do some premarital counseling, first of all, I always pray because it's really hard to really do this well. And I'll start with them by saying, you realize that we have like three different relational levels that we're going to have to deal with here that you're most likely different on. First of all, it's physical. (laughs) Men and women, I've been married 40-some years now, and I still don't understand my wife half the time. I honestly just, I'm mystified. Amen. (laughs) Not only that, there's differences in, like, biological stuff. She only needs, like, five hours of sleep a night. And I need like seven or eight, nine, sometimes ten, <laughs> depending on how bad the day has really been, you know. Um, and so there's just those differences like that. And, some, and when you get into any couple, you can have great physical energy differences. Some people are super energetic, go, go, go. And I, all joking aside, Dave is one of those people. It's like endless amounts of energy. No, it's not always constructive energy, but it's energy. So, you know, at any rate, some other people think chipping a dip to the mouth is energy. That's a lot of, that's expending a lot of energy to do that, right? And you have those physical differences. And so you have that, that level of differences. Then you get to the, the soul level of differences, the mind, the will, and the emotion differences. You have people who are cleric. They're, they're the lion. They come and they take charge. They roar. They want people to jump. Then you have the sanguine, the ever-talking people. Yak, 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 yak. And the story gets bigger. The fish gets longer every time they tell the story, right? And they're kind of fun to be around. I, I have some sanguine friends, and I praise God for them because you know what? You don't have to talk. They'll just fill in the void. And I get, I'm really kind of a quiet person when you get to know me. I don't mind just listening to someone else talk. It's not, doesn't take that much energy. And then you have the uh, melancholic people, <laughs> the perfectionists. Some of you are this person. You make lists of what you're going to do, and then you make a list to organize your lists, right? And it's just like, and then if you organize something one day, you go back and reorganize it again the next day. And, and, and my wife's an organizer. She organizes like everything. I know she's watching this. She's online. Hi, all you online people. I love you, Vicki. Anyway, uh, 
just uh, let you know. But she's a, she's a list maker and an organizer. And so she organizes, and I, I walk into a room, and I don't know where it's at now because it's organized. And so we go through this, and I love her to death. I really love you, honey. Thank you for organizing because I'm so not organized. So saying that all right. And then it's a phlegmatic. That's the more the intuition-based kind of personality. That's the person that is laid back and they're, they're a little bit more introspective and they overthink and they should have the sign by them that says, just a minute, let me overthink this thing. You know, they're kind of that personality. So, you know, you get this married couple together and guess what? There's all these differences. And then you get to the spiritual side of things. You have the person that's, uh, you know, you can go to Romans 12 and read about it. You have the prophetic gift in this person from the Holy Spirit. That's a person that sees everything black and white. And then next you have the person that's service motivated there in, in, in Romans 12. That's a person that serves or serves. Thank you. If you're a service oriented person, God bless you. Amen? And then you have the person that's teaching motivated. Everything's a life lesson. You have the person that's an encourager. You get around them and you just get lifted up. You feel like there's, there's a hope and a future for us. And then you have the administrative person. They're the leaders. God's gifted them to organize and accomplish something. you got the givers. They're the ones that see a need and meet a need. you got the ones then who are mercy motivated. I have a couple daughters that are super mercy motivated. They'll just come wrap their arms around you and just feel so bad when things aren't going well. You have that spiritual differential thing going on too. So get this. I'm talking to this cup. I'm going, you're not the same on one level. Amen. And how are you ever going to be unified in your marriage? It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and embracing one another's differences and saying that's okay. And I thank God for those differences, right? Because they give a full orbed understanding of, of, of life and, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul is doing for us here as he gets in this crescendo of, of talking about unity. He knows it's hard. He knows all these different people are coming together, but in the spirit we can have unity. And then he gets to this next level and he says, there's a unity in Jesus, he says. The crescendo's building. It's getting a little louder. There's one Lord. There's only one Lord, Paul says. That's a unifying thing, amen, for all of us. We have one Lord, Jesus Christ. We have one faith. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's so counterculture right now. We're, right now, more than ever, the recent surveys, people are saying there's multiple ways to go to eternity. More than ever, that's happening. And we, friends, who are Christ followers, know there's what? One faith. One way. And that's through Jesus Christ. And there's one baptism. And this one baptism is referring to the baptism into Jesus Christ. Now, in Jesus' day, you had the baptism of John the Baptist, for instance, a baptism of repentance. And, and that's all been done away with. Now, since Christ has come, we only need to have one baptism. And you know, that's why we promote believer's baptism here at, at Grace Point so much. When you, when you go through a baptism, what you're saying is, I have died. I'm going back here because there's a baptismal back here. So I'm just going mentally into that picture. But... You, you go into the water, you say, I've died in myself. You come out of the water, you say, I'm resurrected with Jesus Christ. I no longer live, he lives in me. It's a, it's a declaration to all the world, I'm a Christ follower, and I plan to follow him all the days of my life. And, and what, what, what Paul's saying here is, there's only one baptism you need to have now, and that's the baptism of Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's it. And the crescendo's kind of building. These things bring unity to us. They bring, they bring oneness into us. And then Paul gets to the, the last thought, and that's this unity in the Father. There's only one God. He's sovereign over all things. And he's father of all. And that term is a term of intimacy. Father means relationship. He cares about you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And then he goes, who is over all and in all and through all. It's just like, it just gets hugely loud, this unity thing. And uh, we're supposed to all go, okay, I get it, Paul. 
We can truly experience unity because the Holy Spirit's in this. Jesus is in this. God the Father's in this. It's a Trinitarian-backed concept. Amen? And we can truly experience this unity. So here's our summary today to the message. As a follower of Jesus, you are to live called, and this is manifested in character and unity. That's how the church demonstrates to the world they're called out ones, by character and by unity. Amen? By character and by unity. The scripture that I read today from Ephesians and other scripture like it became the basis on which the early church formulated a lot of creeds. And so I thought today we'd end by reading a creed, uh, the Nicene Creed. And you'll see the familiarity of the concepts I just shared with you today are in this creed. And the, the, the scripture, the Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6 are, are in this creed. So we're going to read this creed out loud. So I would ask that you stand if you're here in person. If you're at home listening to us online, I ask that maybe you stand at home or take some posture that, uh, of reverence and you read it out loud. If you're at home, read it out loud with us. If you're here, please read this out loud with us. Here we go. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being a one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And in the Holy Spirit the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.